0: We'll hear argument next in number 945707, Charlene Wilson against Arkansas.
1: Mr. Hall. Mr. Chief Justice, may please the court? The case presents a fundamental issue of the interrelationship between the common law and the Bill of Rights, particularly the Fourth Amendment. The case came here on a very limited grant of cert because of the stark way the issue was decided by the Arkansas Supreme Court. That is, that there is no knock and announce requirement in the Fourth Amendment. In response to our briefs, in response to that petition for certain, the grant of cert, my opponents have tried to turn the issue on its head and, in effect, turning the Fourth Amendment on its head. And I'll just cut right to the face of the argument. What they're saying is, the Solicitor General says, the more drugs you've got, the more right you have to an announcement. The less drugs you've got, the less right you have to an announcement. And then the state's position is that if you're completely innocent, you really don't have any rights at all. And I submit to you that that turns the Fourth Amendment on its head. Everybody in this country has a right to be free in their homes from unreasonable searches and seizures. And this falls within the reasonableness clause, whether you're innocent or you're guilty. In this particular case, there were three people in this house that were totally innocent of any wrongdoing. They were subjected to the same search. And I direct you to page 379 of the record, where we tried to get uh, Ricky Kate, Charlie Wilson's son I mean, As to the three who were totally
2: innocent they would have been subjected to a search that they didn't deserve even if there had been a knock and announce That's true uh, they, 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 they got a warrant based on something that the, that, the, that the fourth occupant was doing and the other three uh, had to be subjected to that so that doesn't really carry a whole lot of weight it seems to me
1: I think it carries weight because in the context of the innocent inside a home have as much right to a knock and announce as the guilty Did the three live in the home? Ricky Cates lived in the home, first time. He was 11 at the time of the search.
0: Did the others you are referring to live in the home? No, they were visiting. Then do you think they had the same rights as a
1: dweller in the house? If the Olson case, Minnesota versus Olson, were told the guests have standing in a house, I would say they do. But that was an overnight guest, wasn't it? That's true, but don't, doesn't any guest in a home have some standing well, to be free uh, from a search?
0: I, I think you're, you're making some generalizations that perhaps require a little more refinement than you're giving...
3: Surely your position doesn't depend upon the uh, presence or the absence of other people, persons other than the name in the warrant. It does Your position is exactly the same if your client were the only person in the, in the house. Isn't that correct?
1: That's true, but it, I think it underscores the issue of the innocent having as much right as the guilty in this case because there were three other people in the house. And as I was referring to the record at page 379, we tried to get Ricky Case to testify at the trial. His father, who is now custodial because Charlene was in jail, testified that he was traumatized by this arrest, because of the arrest. He didn't say the search, but the arrest, and was in psychological treatment as a result. He did not want him to testify, and he did not. But it shows the impact that these arrests can have on innocent people. Now, I suppose drug dealers consider being arrested and having their house broken into as a risk of doing business. Most of them do.
4: Do you suppose the Inevitable Discovery Doctrine is applicable in these situations so that evidence, in any event, wouldn't be excluded? Uh, go back to the empty house. You say the Constitution requires not and announce, and if the police don't do it and the house is empty but the drugs are there and they have a search warrant for the house, they go in, they get the drugs. Uh, the evidence would have to be excluded, or would the inevitable discovery doctrine?
1: That make doesn't it even visible? bring into play the inevitable discovery doctrine. That's the useless gesture exception to the knock and announce requirement. But let me take this one step backwards that the state never raised an exception below.
4: Well, presumably it would be open. Uh, to the court, if it if it had to go back.
1: Well, you have other cases. It'll be open to the trial court when it goes back, if it goes back. Yeah. The state could raise, I suppose, any ground. And in this case, I'll concede that all three grounds are possible. Yeah. But there's not any concrete proof on anything, mm-hmm. because at the suppression hearing, the state put on no evidence. I cross-examined no witnesses. They made no argument. I rested my case on the motion. The trial judge said the motion's denied with no findings. So we would have to go back. But I would agree that on the man, the state would have the opportunity to put on proof as to all of these issues. What proof is it. needed? What proof is
2: needed? What they found would have been found with a knock, unless, of course, it, it had been, uh, you know, uh, chucked down, uh, down no. a commode, would, but, but that would be an unlawful act to destroy evidence like that, wouldn't it? Are, are you saying that, uh, that that's a valid exception to the inevitable discovery rule? It might not have been discovered because somebody would have, would have performed a criminal act that would have prevented its discovery. You you wouldn't use that as an excuse, surely. Now,
1: with the destruction of evidence under Arkansas law is a rather minor felony compared to the possession of the drugs. Oh. That isn't the point. The point is whether it is
2: a defense to the inevitable discovery rule. Yeah. I don't see how, you, how the unlawful dis- dis- destruction of contraband Unlawful destruction could possibly be a defense to the inevitable,
1: inevitable uh, discovery well, principle. Inevitable discovery is not an issue in this case either because that's not within the grant of cert And Well, but what's your position on the question?
3: Is the destruction of evidence or the potential thereof an exception to the inevitable discovery rule were we to adopt one?
1: No, because the state is using the inevitable discovery rule as an opportunity to salvage the search. But then on the other hand, they argue we have to enter without announcement to make sure it's there. So if they have to enter without announcement to make sure it's there, then it's not an inevitable discovery. They're planning to make it there. They're trying to ensure it's there by their entry.
5: Mr. And Hall, does it make a difference that in this case the police went through a screen door that was closed but not locked? Would there be Is there a constitutionally relevant distinction between that and ramming a door Open,
1: that could be on the issue of reasonableness. And in this case, it could also go to whether or not they could look through the door and see that they were police officers, because it was a screen door. Now but there in is. In this
5: case, as entries go, this was rather mild, was it not? The screen door that was shut but not locked, the police, as they entered, said, identified themselves.
1: They identified themselves. They had no weapons drawn. After they got inside, they did. Uh, there is some evidence in the record, but it's not a part of the suppression hearing, that they heard Charlene Wilson running to the bathroom to dispose of drugs. And in her cross-examination at the trial on merit, she admitted that she was in the bathroom flushing drugs after she previously denied it. She denied it and then admitted it. So... Your position
3: is, I take it, that there is a general rule that the search is unreasonable, uh, prima facie unreasonable, if they enter without knocking and announce in the absence of some exceptions which are not before us. Is, is that, in a nutshell? That's correct.
1: And so reason- so that,
3: that's why that covers this case. This case may be on the, on the fringes if we did not have a general rule. But if we have a general rule, this case falls within it, and that's the end of the case.
1: We would go back to determine the reasonableness overall. The state could plead that they really knew that police were out there. Therefore, they were not surprised. The state could argue that the presence of a gun created a peril issue, which is seriously in dispute because they had their own guns holstered when they came in. They didn't consider it consider that a serious dispute. And in the destruction of property, the destruction of the evidence, I submit to you, this case, a good example that the destruction of evidence overall really doesn't mean a whole lot.
0: How much difference is there between the knock and announce rule as a part of the Fourth Amendment, with some exceptions to it, which I, I gather is your position, and the position taken by the Solicitor General, that the knock-and-announce rule is a factor to be considered in determining overall reasonableness.
1: I look at it a different way, that the Fourth Amendment requires announcement. The exceptions are based on reasonableness, and the exceptions can come into play, and conceivably other exceptions could be envisioned in the well, So what difference does it make, say, in,
0: in a typical case, where if, if you apply one rule or the other?
1: It's still not going to announce becomes a Fourth Amendment requirement because it's part of reasonableness. Arkansas rejected that completely. And you would have to, at least if you found that, you'd have to remand it back to decide whether or not what the police did here was reasonable.
6: Can, can I ask about that? This is just a technical question. Uh, but you've been talking about what was in the, in the suppression hearing. I, I don't know, if legally, does it matter if the evidence was in the suppression hearing or at the trial? That's one question. The other is I have in my transcript here, of which, you, you know, in the record here, a lot of evidence on page 39 and so forth, it's titled uh, uh, Suppression Hearing. Isn't that, isn't that the Suppression Hearing? Yes. Well, well there they say, you know, uh, uh, was she in the bathroom? Say, I didn't see weapons drawn, but uh, he says, I went straight to the bathroom where Mrs. Wilson was. Why? Apparently, she'd run to the bathroom. Now, we know she'd run to the bathroom to flush the drugs down the toilet. And, and so why would you have to—and you say in your brief that, that it's a common law exception, uh, destruction of evidence, because you say possible destruction of evidence. So why isn't it right there in the suppression hearing that she ran to the bathroom to flush the—you know, you have to draw the inference. She ran there to flush the drugs down the toilet.
1: You have to draw the inference, but there's no evidence of it. Were, well, well, what is the evidence where he says because she'd run to the bathroom? Why isn't that evidence? Well, uh, somebody told Eford— that she's gone to the bathroom, go get her. He was, no. he was next to last through the door or something like that. All right, well, why isn't all that evidence? All that shows is an inference that she ran to the bathroom. Right. You could guess that, well, maybe she was in there flushing drugs. But even if she did flush drugs, in this case, they testified there was
6: residue in the toilet. All no, right, but, okay, so it's evidence. There also, wasn't it introduced in the suppression hearing the, uh, the uh, uh, warrant itself? And wasn't there an affidavit attached to the warrant uh, which said that uh, she only a few days earlier had had a chrome-handled pistol uh, that she had used uh, to threaten with serious physical harm the confidential informant? Wasn't that in the...
1: That sp- was in the air And wouldn't we- that have
6: been part of the evidence at the suppression hearing? Because they must have introduced the warrant.
1: Well, I introduced the warrant. They didn't. Yeah, but I mean, was
6: it... The but question but is, Michael, wasn't that there in the suppression hearing? And if it was, isn't that evidence of what you call peril?
1: It was, but... Well, then why would we have to send this back? Because the exceptions weren't a part of the main assert, And I direct the court to Gates versus Illinois... Pages 211 through 223, where the court asked the case to be rebriefed on the question of the good faith exception. Well, we can do it.
2: Busy. We can do it, but I, I think our normal rule is that, that any uh, any judgment can be defended on any basis, whether we granted cert, particularly on that or not. That's true. We need not allow it, but but we certainly
0: may allow it. And and we say the question presented is whether the knock-and-announce rule of the common law is constitutionally mandated under the Fourth Amendment. Now, if we were to conclude that the common law knock-and-announce rule is not constitutionally mandated under the Fourth Amendment, but that it is a factor to be considered... Uh, then surely we can decide on, on, on these facts whether uh, the, the factoring was done
1: properly if, if we choose to do so. I think you probably could and I would concede that on remand I don't know that the proof would get much better. I would assume that all the officers that were there would be called instead of just two of them and also the, the two Cawthorns and possibly Ricky Cates so we'd have ten additional witnesses called. call.
3: Council, suppose that uh, police don't have any knowledge that there was a gun in the possession of a drug dealer, but he is a drug dealer. Uh, is it unreasonable for the police to assume that he probably has a gun?
1: All the case law under the federal statute has said possession of a gun alone is not enough, and we include.
3: Uh, I'm asking what the police officers can assume uh, when they begin to make their arrest. Is it unreasonable for them to assume that the dealer might have a gun?
1: In some cases, you could make that assumption. I guess it depends on the the level of the dealer. In this case, we had a low-level dealer, but we did have positive evidence of a gun.
3: Is it unreasonable for the police to assume that, in the case of easily disposable contraband, that there is a strong probability or significant probability that the contraband will be that there will be an attempt to dispose of it by flushing it down the drain?
1: Is that an unreasonable assumption? It's not, but I want to counter that with another view that, in this case, for example, by the time they got the search warrant, they had charges on her for three separate sales. And she got 31 years as a result of the sales. As a result of the search, she got an $11,000 fine and a year in jail. So the graver bra- the crimes are what give them a probable, probable cause to make the entry in the first place. By the time they go in, they've got them on something. Ninety-five times out of a hundred, they've done a drug deal somewhere else. Police have it documented, and that's what their probable cause for the entry is.
2: Well, you don't, you don't uh, necessarily concede, do you, that uh, destruction of the evidence is, uh, is an adequate uh, excuse for dis- dispensing with uh, knocking and ounce? Or do you concede that?
1: It it depends, I would say. Somebody's going to have to agree with the government on that. But if it's a small quantity of drugs, and you've already got them on a felony that could get them life imprisonment, and you're going in to possess, aren't we just as well off that they flush it? The drugs are out of circulation. You're going to get them on a significant crime. They test the water. I I think we generally generally
2: take these things crime by crime. I really don't think we can.
1: By the time they go in, though, they've, they've got them. What they're trying to do is add on drugs. I'm, in of,
3: of, not a, I'm aware either. of no authority that requires the police or, uh, to, to make a judgment as to whether or not there are some other crimes uh, for which they might have evidence uh, that would excuse them ignoring a, a, an ongoing crime. I mean, well, and this, that, is that,
7: a, that, this is a push warrant on the that.
3: most improbable basis to ask us to base an opinion of this court on.
1: We're not asking to ignore the crime. They've got the right to go in the house and conduct a search for whatever. If they find drug paraphernalia, the wrappings of drugs that's going to have residue on it, they'll be charged with that. They can test the water. They can turn off the water. There are all kinds of things they can do that are still going to get that person
5: arrested. With respect to water, Mr. Hall, is is the advent of the indoor toilet relevant to the Fourth Amendment analysis?
1: To some extent it is, but even at common law, people had stoves, they had pots in the house that had water in it. You know, if you had cocaine back in the 16th century, that's but a good thing The
2: of the indoor fireplace is a, is a, is a, is a, a
1: counter-development that, that may neutralize yeah. the whole thing, right? We go from the stove in the house to central heat to have an indoor plumbing.
4: Let me ask you this. There was, uh, you can that the police did have a valid search warrant in the house. Did they have an arrest warrant? Well,
1: they also had an arrest warrant for the sales that occurred, the three sales that occurred Uh prior,
4: Uh
1: or at least two of the sales. There may have been a third.
4: Now, if there is indeed um, an inevitable discovery doctrine that is applicable here, perhaps it isn't necessary that the case be remanded to determine what the, the risk of gun use was or anything of that kind, because presumably. The evidence wouldn't be suppressed in any event if the inevitable discovery rule applies.
1: If it does, there would be applies. a
4: factual determination to make, right?
1: If it applies, but I dispute mm-hmm. that it applies because of their own admissions of the way they argued the issue—that it has to. We have to make the entry to make sure it's there. Therefore, it is the but-for reason that is found.
4: But it's it's a pure legal question. It doesn't require further fact-finding to decide whether the inevitable discovery rule was.
1: I think not. I agree. Does Arkansas have an inevitable discovery rule? It does. There was a a case decided about 12 or 15 years ago where they uh, adopted it. They said, albeit reluctantly, but they do agree that there is an inevitable discovery. And it was, I think, pre Mix versus Williams or around that time. But it does consider the rule. I think they would possibly apply it here, though, depending on how we were to counter the argument. They didn't get that issue below. I understand.
2: Why did they adopt it reluctantly?
1: Who who made them do it? Well, it's the way it was phrased in the opinion.
5: How would it apply in Arkansas? Suppose that the police came in, in the middle of the night, they broke down the door, uh, they were brutal to the inhabitants, but they did have a warrant, and it identified what they found. Would the Inevitable Discovery Rule, as Arkansas has it, apply nonetheless?
1: We don't know about Arkansas law, but I would counter that with, what about the overall reasonableness about the way this search was conducted? Can such an abuse— But does not
5: that, under the Inevitable Discovery Rule, isn't that all beside the point? They had a valid warrant. If they had been well-behaved, they could have gone in and found all those things. In fact, they wrecked the place. They were brutal. How, well, does, how does the, the inevitable discovery rule work in those two different settings?
1: My response to that would be a kind of remedial response. That is that if the reasonableness requirement is not satisfied by the way the entry is conducted because they terrorized children at gunpoint, in one case we found they did a genital search of somebody and no drugs were found in the house, then a the court would say this is just so outrageous we can't countenance this entry and go ahead exclude, and express it, it anyway. Exclude the, the, uh, the evidence that would have
2: been found anyway, even if they had entered properly.
1: If the conduct was so outrageous that it's far surpassed. What
2: if the state it. imposes an outrageous tax? I mean, you know, maybe a proper property. penalty for, for outrageous collection of a tax as well? I mean, that also has has nothing to, to do with whether the evidence would have been found or not. Well, taxes aren't normally imposed at gunpoint. I see. You're only going to— punish them for those irrelevant things that, uh, that occur in some proximity to the uh, uh, entry?
1: It's not irrelevant. When well, it's irrelevant to whether
2: the drugs would have been found or
1: not. Well, if you say that the drugs wouldn't have been flushed in any event, if there were so many drugs they would have always been found no matter what, you know, how do you remedy a police abuse when they come in like that?
4: Well, you have a lawsuit, don't you? Under 1983, presumably, if the, if the police are abusive, the victims have a, a valid civil lawsuit. Do they not?
1: They have a possible cause of action. Whether or not oh. it would actually go anywhere, I doubt seriously. I've litigated a few of those types of police misconduct cases, not in this exact context, but the burden of proof is so high, the police officer already has every presumption in the world in, favor, in his favor in the jury room. That's, you have to prove them liable beyond a reasonable doubt for all practical purposes. But
4: that's not the legal burden of proof.
1: No, that's the practical burden. You're just
4: talking practicality, huh?
1: i talking the reality, because I've tried enough of to know that you, in your own mind, you know you've proved it by a preponderance, but the jury still says, well, they're police officers. We're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's the way it works. And to some extent, that may be a valid response by a jury. Sometimes it's not. The question of protecting the innocent inside a search, in this type of case, protecting everybody from unnecessary violence, is a separate question from the authority to search. Yes, they have the authority to search, but how they conduct it, the reasonableness of a search, is always an issue. It always has been. There's was always the question of who else may be home. In this case, there was no surveillance. The police just drove up and went right inside. And they didn't know who was in there. They could have surveilled the house, waited for, somebody to come out and arrest him, presumably well, innocent parties wouldn't know it was a drugs what, what in the drugs
0: were. What if in the course of a very uh, rough search, uh, the, the authorities uh, physically beat up on someone who was never then charged with anything? Uh, and uh, does that mean that the people who are charged with something and for whom they had a warrant and stuff was found in the house, that they can rely on the beating up of, of a person who, had not, who was not charged?
1: In the context of where somebody is in fact guilty of the crime, I'd say then that would not be an appropriate case for suppression of the evidence. But what I'm thinking about is the overall reasonableness of when the police come in, what do they know? What about the innocent people inside? Well,
0: what about when the you guilty? say overall reasonable, supposing you've got three police coming into this house, and one of them is a maverick, and he's simply sees the first person inside the house and just hits them with his billy or whatever they take on these raids. The other two policemen go about their business just the way they should, find the evidence, and the two people uh, who against whom the evidence they found uh, are, are charged. The
1: person who is hit with the billy club is not charged. What result there? He is truly innocent and squeaky clean he'd have a fairly good cause of action and could probably prevail but
0: could be, could the two who are uh against whom charges made try to suppress the evidence found in the house on the basis of this one maverick officers beating up of someone who
1: is not charged in your hypothetical i'd say no because the overall reasonableness of the search that produced the evidence would not or that would not be unreasonable under that situation because it didn't involve the people who are the target of the search, and the other officer is actively restraint. and if they said, wait a minute, you're, you're out of control, stop whatever you're doing, if they exercise their authority as police officers to stop somebody out of control. And I think that could come in as being reasonable. But if it just completely got out of hand, like the Rodney King videotape we've seen, which obviously can't happen because it happened there, then who knows? And. We've given examples in the briefs from the empirical evidence of places where some police officers actually did go berserk in houses, trash the place, harm people, and then find no evidence and just get up and leave without even apologizing. I mean, it happens. It doesn't happen a lot, necessarily, but not many of those cases are going to make it up here because of the nature of this court's review. I'll just admit that the rule protects police safety as well as citizen safety, one thing that the my opponents rely on is the fact that firearms were a lot more plentiful and a lot more effective now than they were at the time Semaine's case was decided, which is true. But if you think about Semaine's case, when they're talking about the possibility of hand-to-hand combat when somebody comes in, at least you've got an opportunity there to explain while they're arguing or they're fighting or they're tussling on the floor. But when you've got a gun that holds 15 rounds like a 9mm does, you can empty that clip in no time before anybody can ask any questions. If they just see something in somebody's hand, they think, that's a gun, and they open fire, and it turns out to be an ashtray. as in one case where a man was shot. And those all these situations bear on the ultimate question of knocking an ounce. Police officers have a right to be protected in their own safety. Now, they will say in response that when they come in, they're, they're a target. They're a target only when somebody's really crazy, and they know that there is, in fact, a gun inside. Most of the time, people are not going to risk violence. When there's children inside the house, for instance, or a small amount of drugs, you are not going to kill somebody over a small amount of drugs. If they're drug dealers, they know getting arrested is a risk, and they're going to go ahead and do their time. The real risk, I submit to you, is from people who fear that people coming in or other people to rob them. And that does, in fact, happen. Drug dealers rip each other off sometimes, and they come in at gunpoint and take the stuff. And when that happens, what's the normal response? The normal response is to shoot. And a police officer could get accidentally shot if the person rules the police. He says, wait a minute, I'm not going to do anything to them. I'm not going to risk a capital murder charge over a possession of marijuana charge. Well, it's not well, realistic. To,
2: let, the, let the police officer uh, calculate those odds. Now, you may be right, but, uh, but I, I assume that's something that the police officer takes into account when he goes crashing in.
1: And we let them, at their own folly, take the risk of getting shot? That's the counter to that. Well, I mean, you, you're asking us, I don't find, you, you, you have some good arguments,
2: but I don't think that's one of them, that, 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 that we, should, we should exercise the judgment of whether it's a wise thing for the policeman to go crashing in or not, from his standpoint.
1: Well, but he can make that determination based on what he knows at the scene, starting from the principle that we have an announcement requirement, but can it be dispensed with in this case for whatever reason? And if it can be dispensed with, I'm sure they'll be able to justify it. The exceptions, we agree, the three exceptions, have been around for 150 years as well. There are common law cases recognizing these exceptions. We don't dispute that they would apply now. And when they get there, if they have a reasonable basis for believing by, and I would agree even if you get to that point, that reasonable suspicion has to be the standard under buoy. That if they have a reasonable suspicion to believe that some violence might occur, they can come in. If they How
5: about a reasonable suspicion that evidence will be destroyed?
1: Possibly the same as well.
5: Isn't that—would that be so in, in so many of these narcotics cases? Well, we
1: have to remember, booze is based on safety of the officer. Destruction of evidence is not based on safety of the officer. And you might end up having to have two standards. Probable cause for destruction of evidence, reasonable suspicion for safety of the officer.
5: Well, why doesn't the knowledge that there's a gun in the house um, give rise to the off- safety of the officer concern and the presence of marijuana? in a place with indoor plumbing, to the destruction of evidence. What more would you need to come within the tra- even the traditional exceptions?
1: Because then you're creating a blanket exception without any re- belief in the facts.
5: No, not a, dr- a blanket exception without any belief in the facts. These facts. Well, There's a gun in that house. We know that. There's a warrant for, to search for narcotics.
1: If the warrant is to search for narcotics, then you've created a blanket exception that the police can enter any time the drugs are involved. And since 42 percent of all American households have guns in them, can you say that there's a reasonable suspicion there's a gun in the house? If you say that, then there's no knocking an ounce. There's no need for it anymore. And then if that happens, what well, would all be injured. enough
5: to say to uh, have a concern about the safety of the officer? You say the presence of a gun, even a gun named in the warrant, is not enough. What would it have to be?
1: In this case, I think. You could say there's enough in this case because you've got an alleged threat to the informant. You've got a threat of force by the use of that gun, not just the mere presence of a gun, but a suggestion the gun would be used. And I would agree that that would have to be enough to get over that.
2: A gun plus uh, someone who is uh, is, uh, uh, reasonably suspected of uh, being a violent person willing to use that gun.
1: Willing to use the gun. For the guy has got a history of beating up people, I would say that would be enough, given the presence of a gun as well. But these are all hypotheticals that are way beyond the facts. But just the mere presence of a gun in the cases under the federal statute hasn't been enough. But there's one curious case that the solicitor general cites, where a guy was wearing a bulletproof vest. Thank, that
0: you, would be thank you, Mr. Hall. Uh, general Bryant, we'll hear from you.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. May it please the court. Uh, First, in this particular case, it's very important that the officers had a search warrant uh, before they went on premises, and that takes care of most of the probable cause requirements that uh, uh, Mr. Hall has been talking about. Arkansas is asking this court to categorically balance the interest in the execution of a warrant. This court has categorically approved officers' Uh, 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 p- approved police practices designed to protect police officers from violence. The Fourth Amendment does not require knock and out.
3: General yes. Bryan, do you deny that it is a relevant consideration in determining whether the uh, the entry was when, and the search was reasonable? Yes, Your Honor, it is. Um, do, you if, deny, do you deny it, or you agree that it yes, is a relevant
8: consideration? The execution of the warrant is is subject to the reasonableness clause. The the State's uh, primary or first position is that knock-and-announce is not required
3: categorically. No, but my question is, is it a relevant consideration in determining whether a search is reasonable or not? Uh, May they consider the fact that there either was a knock-and-announce or there was not a knock-and-announce? No, Your Honor. In that instance,
8: the the case is uh, the uh, State's first argument is that it is not relevant
3: in the consideration. So then, under your under your view, the state routinely could use a battering ram to knock down every door. No, your honor. Uh, the use so of then it, so then the way entry is affected is a component of reasonableness. Thank you,
0: right.
8: Uh, in the in the case of a battering ram, your honor, uh, that would be subject to
3: the reasonableness clause. But how then- about kicking? <laughs>
8: Uh, it, it might be necessary in some instances, Your Honor, where uh, that was the means by which the officers had to enter.
3: How, about, how about using a, a, a skeleton key? Uh, that would be... Uh, Within, all of this is without knocking up. Yes. Uh, yes. The suit is asking uh, this court to balance the entry. All of, all of these, indicate, all of these um, hypotheticals I've given to you uh, constitute a reasonable entry in all cases? It, it could, Your Honor. It could, under the state's uh, first theory. Uh, well, that's it, what we're testing, is the state's yes. first theory. Uh, I think the, the answer to the, each of my questions under your first theory is that there is it, no uh, illegality in the entry. It, uh, that is correct, Your Honor. It, it, that's possible.
8: However, under the Fourth Amendment, this court uh, has... I, I, been...
3: if, if, if it's, I'd like, we have to write the opinion. I want to know what the consequences of my opinion are. And I'm, I'm asking you whether or not the manner of entry is ever relevant as to reasonableness? The same question Justice Souter the, the, asked.
8: Yes, Your Honor. Well, let me answer it this way, Your Honor. Knock in and out, uh in our position should not be a, a part of that inquiry. Uh, the, uh, if there is I un-
3: want to know if it's an element in considering the reasonableness of the search. No, Your Honor. That, that, so, literally, if the, if the state presented evidence and said we, we knocked on the door and started to say we were police officers and there's an objection, uh, the judge would say strike that. That is totally irrelevant evidence. I mean, are you, are you really going that far? Under, yes, under the reasonable clause. Uh, under that test, Your Honor, the state.
8: The third is saying that the state's case is this. Uh, the Fourth Amendment requires, under the reasonable clause, a balancing of the interests. And when you balance the interests of the state, against the interest of the occupant uh, because uh, this court has recognized that when the officers are in the process of executing a warrant, they put themselves at great risk. Uh, police safety is a legitimate and weighty state interest to be considered. And when you categorically balance the, uh, uh, those interests, uh, the interests weigh heavily in favor of the state. And this court has previously adopted such rules. For example, in Pennsylvania versus Mems, uh, this court said that when uh, the police stop an automobile, uh, the police can require the, automo- the occupant to get out of the car. In that particular instance, the court balanced the uh, interest of the state against the interest of the occupant and, in, and, and utilized police safety as a basis for that rule. This court did the same thing in, uh, Michigan <coughs> in the Michigan uh, versus Summers case. In that particular case, uh, there was a search warrant. The officers went in the house. This court said that the officers could, could contain the occupants of the house for the duration of the search. In that case also, there was a balancing of the interest. The court concluded that officer safety was a legitimate state interest and that that
5: rule protected officer safety. General Bryant, what is the purpose and effect of the Arkansas statute that says to make an arrest, an officer may break open a door? After having demanded admittance and explained the purpose for which admittance is desired.
8: Your Honor, in Arkansas, the uh, Supreme Court has adopted uh, rules of criminal procedure, and the Supreme Court has taken the position that four rules. or supersede those uh, of the legislature. If there's anything the legislature passes regarding a rule, uh, regarding uh, criminal rules of procedure, the court's rule is the final authority. What is the court's rule in the The court's rule on arrest uh, warrants does not require knocking them out. It's the same as search warrants.
5: As I understand it, the rules are silent. I could see if a rule said you can arrest uh, without knocking and announcing, but there is no such rule. There's a statute, and there's no rule. Yes, there is a rule on, on uh, arrest warrants, Your Honor. That's uh, uh, the rule... But, uh, this is, that doesn't address warrants. It addresses arre- the arrest itself. To make an arrest, an officer, etc. What rule addresses the officer's conduct in making the arrest that conflicts with the statute?
8: It's uh, the criminal, uh, rules of criminal procedure number four, uh, Your Honor, that, uh, uh, that's been promulgated by the Arkansas court. And that, what does that rule say about how the officer is to make an arrest? The officer, uh, in making arrest, uh, uh, does not have to knock and announce. There's no requirement in that rule for knocking and announce. Yep.
5: So then we have a silent, we have a statute that says one thing. We have a rule that says nothing to the contrary the
8: state would submit, Your Honor, that uh, based on Arkansas Supreme Court practice, their rules uh, would take precedence over a legislative statute.
2: General, General Bryant, um, I, I'm, I'm going to decide this case on the basis of whether I think there was a, a knock-and-announce rule at, uh, at, at common law when the Fourth Amendment was adopted and that it was assumed that part of the reasonableness of a search uh, uh, was that element. Now, uh, do you uh, uh, dis- the fact that there was, at common law, a general rule that you had to knock and announce in executing a warrant for for a home. Yes, Your Honor. You, state, you do dispute that. We do, do dispute that. What's your best uh, What's your best case showing that uh, such a rule did not exist,
8: Your Honor? The uh, the state decided two cases in brief. One is Launius, the Lonnius case, and the other one uh, is uh, a case. Uh, that I can't recall the name of, but in those cases, Your Honor, uh, although there was no holding that uh, uh, search warrants extended to, uh, did not extend to uh, felony cases, uh, there was uh, the, the judges in, those, in both cases, did, uh, certain judges in both cases, did not uh, uh, stated they did not want to extend the rule uh, to felony cases. Where, where are they
2: in your brief, and how old are they?
8: Your Honor, that is located... Well, one case, your honor, is 1802, and the other case is 1819, and that uh, is 22 of the brief is it. Page 22 of the brief, Lonick versus Brown and uh, Ratcliffe versus Burton are the two cases. Uh, but in addition, uh, but in addition to that, your honor, modern day commentators uh, have taken the position that uh, uh, it's not it's not definite that knocking and announce was required at common law. And, in fact, uh, uh, the modern-day search warrant was not in existence in early early common law. So uh, the state's position is that common law uh, does not require knock-and-announce in uh, felony cases. However, even assuming uh, that is true, that the common law is controlling, uh, this court should not follow the common law knock-and-announce rule. Depends
2: on what you mean by the knock-and-announce rule. I don't read those two cases as saying that there is no general requirement of knock-and-announce. I, I, it seems to me it's possible to read them entirely, to be in, quite consistent with other cases of the period, that there is a general requirement, but we will not say that it, it is always applicable in the case of felonies which would mean there's a general rule, but, of course, there are exceptions, such as, uh, such as the, uh, uh, the petitioner here is perfectly willing to, to uh, uh, admit. There's a general rule, but there's exception an exception for uh, uh, a case in which a felon is inside the house and believed to be armed. Perhaps there's an exception for uh, destruction of evidence. But, but you, you say there is no general principle at all. Isn't that what you say? Uh, That is is correct, Your Honor. What do you do about all the cases that seem to uh, seem to announce such a general principle? Uh, Well,
8: Your Honor, many cited in the in the the brief for petition. Uh, That is correct, but for the the government government. and for the government, uh, that is correct. But uh, the point the state is making in that is that uh, the authority the authority is not uh, conclusive or well settled that that was the uh, rule at common law. But even assuming that it was, this court should not. Uh, follow a common law rule that uh, incorporates certain police practices when the Fourth Amendment was adopted or before into a black-letter constitutional rule at this time.
6: Why? Why isn't it reasonable? But you don't have to. They go back to Edward I. I didn't even know whether he invaded Scotland or whatever, but they traced it back to Edward I. And even today, isn't it still a reasonable thing? That you shouldn't knock down the door of somebody's house where you're not afraid of any harm, and you don't have any reason to think somebody's going to destroy evidence. I mean, why isn't that a reasonable thing in that instance, even if you weren't going back to Edward I? And if you are, well, no, so much the stronger. Your Honor, that would be reasonable, and that's
8: that's the state's position. The officers in the field should be able to make a decision. And and Arkansas is not asking this court to prohibit knocking and out In fact, in Arkansas,
6: you know that they'd requ- you'd require it because it's reasonable and unreasonable not to knock and announce where they're not going to destroy any evidence. You have no reason for thinking so. You have no reason for think they're thinking there's any danger. And there's this pedigree in history saying that it's unreasonable under those circumstances. What's the answer to that? Your Honor, in this case, the, uh, the officers had a
8: search warrant, uh, and probable, there was a probable cause requirement met that there was illegal contraband on premises, plus uh, uh, there was a weapon on premises. And uh, in situations where the officers serve a warrant, uh, they are at great risk. And the rule that uh, Arkansas is suggesting would provide for the protection of officers, the protection of occupants, bystanders if present, as well as legitimate law enforcement principles of of, uh, uh, preventing the escape of suspects, preventing the destruction of evidence. And uh, this Court uh, has said uh, that uh, a categorical rule is best best, uh, uh, developed uh, which will give the officers firm guidance in the field they are not placed in the position of deciding uh, whether I should knock or announce or what exception applies. And uh, the state commits that that is the reasonable approach uh, in this case. The Fourth Amendment does not require knock and announce, and the petitioner would have this court elevate knock and announce as an absolute rigid requirement of the Fourth Amendment and Arkansas does not believe uh, that that is uh, proper, it is not required for the Fourth Well, man- what's
4: the matter with the proposal of the Solicitor General? It would certainly take into account the long common law tradition. I, for one, can't buy your proposal at all. You have no comment on what the Solicitor General proposes? Uh,
7: yes. Uh- there's
4: a very long tradition here that has to be taken into account, and the fact that the officers don't, not going to announce, certainly at a minimum ought to be a factor in what's reasonable.
8: That is essentially the the U.S. government's position, and that is the state's fallback position, that if uh, this court uh, does not see fit to announce a, a categorical rule, to, to protect the police officers in this, this instance, that a reasonable fallback would be the position by the solicitor, in that knock in the house would be part of the reasonableness uh, test under the Fourth Amendment.
2: Time to fall back, with General
8: Bryan,
0: I think. Uh. <laughs> Thank you, General Bryan. Uh, Mr. Dreven, we'll hear from you.
9: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Uh, Our position is that the matter of entry and executing a search warrant is a component of the reasonableness analysis under the Fourth Amendment, and that knock-and-announce is a component of that analysis.
3: Mr. Mr. Treben, I I have the same question that the Chief Justice asked at the outset of the argument. Is is there any significant difference between saying that um, there is a knock-and-announce rule with exigent circumstances or exceptions, on the one hand, Or the rule as you just phrased it, that there is a reasonable requirement and that uh, knocking is a component of that. Is there there any significant difference for us?
9: I think, Justice Kennedy, that's largely a semantic difference, uh, but there is a connotation when one uses the word accident circumstances that um, the Police may have to have a particularly compelling immediate justification for dispensing with the requirement in question. That is not the way we analyze this problem. We analyze this problem as involving a balance of what is reasonable under the circumstances for the police to do in executing a search warrant and that there should not be a strict requirement of exigent circumstances to justify the police in making an immediate entry. The primary- Mr. Treven, what do you want us to do in this case?
2: Just just say that there there is some such general requirement, or you, you want us to affirm the decision below?
9: Yes, we think the judgment should be affirmed on the grounds that the record clearly indicates that the police had reasonable justification for believing that there were two grounds for making an immediate entry. First, the avoidance of the potential of violence, because they had knowledge that uh, Petitioner had a uh, firearm in her house and that she had... Are, are there a findings
7: case. to support that conclusion? No. We did make the findings de novo ourselves.
9: I don't think there was any serious dispute, and I think Petitioner's counsel today indicated there's no real serious dispute about what happened and what knowledge there was. The record is fairly complete. There is a
7: search affidavit... You would at least have to read the record in full, I suppose.
9: I, I think you'd have to read the record of the suppression hearing. It's not my understanding that a suppression motion was renewed at trial and it would be appropriate to confine the record to the evidence that was adduced by the petitioner at the suppression hearing. But even that evidence clearly shows that there were two justifications known to the police, the violence risk, which I've alluded to, and the potential for destruction of evidence. What's your best case for that? What's, what, what, what's your, your best case, or in fact, your best two
2: cases, for saying that the destruction of evidence is... An exception from the general
9: common law requirement that you not can announce? Uh, this court recognized in the Sabbath case in describing the common law that destruction of evidence was a permissible ground for uh, dispensing with knock and announce. But, Justice Scalia, I think it's important to keep in mind that the common law, as it evolved in England, did not primarily consider the question of entries to effectuate search warrants. They simply weren't used very often before the Constitution was adopted. And when they were used, they tended to be the general warrant, which excited criticism for other reasons. Uh, also, of course, I, I it's to, still not going to announce warrant. Yes, not. Well, it arose in the context of arrest warrants, and so the question of destruction of evidence by the subject of the arrest was really less of a focus. And it has to be noted that I don't understand what you're saying. You mean they, they didn't search homes before
2: be, be, before the revolution? They did it without a warrant.
8: There were, there were no
9: cases that evaluated the question of what sort of uh, requirements attached to searches by the police. And I think at common law, there was no uh, uh, justification for searching merely for evidence at all. The only justifications were searching for contraband. And in those cases, there wasn't any attention paid to the issue. It's probably a fair inference that the police did indeed make uh, immediate entries to prevent destruction of evidence. But the big difference is technological. There was no indoor plumbing. And as a result of, of that, it was much harder to destroy any significant
2: quantity. Except for the
4: fireplace. or the fireplace. stove, that They is, could just toss it right in. You could
2: destroy papers better in a fireplace than a... That is true
8: if, oh. if it were lit and if the
9: police were coming on the scene at a time when it could be done. Mr.
4: Grieben, what about the inevitable discovery notion uh, Do you think that that doctrine is applicable uh, here um, so that uh, the evidence would not be suppressed in any event?
9: Um, Yes, Justice O'Connor. Our position is that uh, if the exclusionary rule issue were to be reached under cases from this Court, such as Tagora and Murray and New York versus Harris, uh, it is clear that, the warrant that the police possessed justified their entry. Well, and what's the housing. point of
4: trying to decide some factual issue where there are no findings below? I think it would be—it would, be, would be certainly much simpler to deal with it on the inevitable discovery theory.
9: There is a certain amount of of ease of application of that notion. I think that police officers in the field are entitled to guidance on the question of when and under what circumstances they are authorized to make an entry without a prior knock-and-announce. It is not the position of the United States that they are authorized to do so in every case, even if they have no reasonable justification for believing.
3: As I understood your brief, in the case of drug dealers, uh, there is a presumption Uh, that they have an arm and uh, a weapon and that they may dispose of the contraband. Do, do I, I misinterpret your brief? No,
9: I think that's a fair, fair way to read our brief and the way the case law has developed under 18 U.S.C. 3109. There is it
3: a my with the defense counsel, he, he said, well, a low, this is a low-level drug dealer. Can you give me any assistance with that? Any, anybody that sold drugs is a, a drug dealer for this
9: purpose? For this purpose, yes, Justice Kennedy. I, there, there may be uh, a distinction, for example, if based on confidential informants, the police know that all the drugs in question are stored in relatively indestructible crates, and they are uh, executing a search warrant at a warehouse. They probably could not assume that any destruction of the evidence that they were searching for would take place. But in in the average situation, when executing a warrant to search for narcotics, the police may reasonably assume that the occupants of the dwelling will make some effort to destroy the contraband. Or almost anything else. Why just narcotics? I mean, it, it seems to me, you're, you're, you're,
2: once you say that a valid exception to the rule is the destruction of evidence, the possible destruction of evidence, it seems to me, in the, in the average uh, search, whether it's for narcotics or not, uh, you could assume that once the person hears a knock, you know, I'm a policeman here with a search warrant. Whatever you're looking for, with, with few exceptions, bales of marijuana. But if it's, you know, stolen jewelry, chuck it down the toilet, uh, whatever. Uh, it seems to me you're, 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 you're making an exception that swallows up the general rule.
9: Well, I, I don't think, just to say, that it entirely swallows the rule. It certainly would apply to anything that could be readily and easily destroyed through indoor plumbing or through, um, for example, the cases I've dealt with uh raids on gambling uh joints in which uh the slips are kept the betting slips are kept on flash paper which can easily easily be put in water and there's water soluble. But if a search warrant were being executed for stolen televisions, there would be uh no reason to believe that the occupants would have any means of being able to destroy the uh the televisions. I I just I just wonder
2: whether that's a good enough good enough exception to uh uh, to come in without, without knocking and announcing, especially since you tell me that at common law you couldn't go in for evidence anyway, at all, even, even with knock and announce. Now right. you're saying you can not only go in to get evidence, but you can do it without knocking
9: and announcing. Well, I, I, we, I, my response to that is twofold. First, we believe that the uh, exceptions to a knock and announce rule, if you want to put it that way, uh, that we advocate are consistent with the way the doctrine has developed in common law cases in this country.
5: In that respect, do you make a difference between what the statute requires of federal officers and what the Fourth Amendment requires of all officers? Is there something more because there's a federal statute?
9: No, Justice Ginsburg. I think that 3109 has been interpreted by the lower courts as incorporating the same kind of reasonableness analysis as we're advocating under the theory that 3109 which was enacted in 1917 was a restatement of the common law and that the common law recognized that when it would frustrate the object of a search to knock and announce before entering it wasn't required or when the police faced a may, risk of danger from entering with a knock uh, may,
7: may i ask a broader question based on that statement is it the government's position that the fourth amendment rule for which you, you advocate would be precisely the same as this Court's construction of Section 3109 insofar as we've decided 3109 cases?
9: Um, I don't think it would be precisely the same as this Court's construction of, of 3109 in every respect. Um, the most significant respect in which I would differ from the 3109 cases is the application of the exclusionary rule. Uh, in in the cases that this Court had, Miller and Sabbath under 3109, there was a fairly broad application of the exclusionary Rule, which may have been appropriate on the fact of those cases because they involved warrantless entries to a home to make an arrest, and therefore
7: there is a difference Let's in the, from in the question of remedy in terms of the, the scope of whether there is a violation of, of the Fourth Amendment, would you say the law would be the same as whether there's a violation of 3109?
9: Well, none of this court's cases under 3109 evaluated uh, whether there were exceptions because the facts didn't present them. And to that extent, uh, those cases simply didn't
7: present the problem that we have here. We don't take issue with the idea that... Well, let me ask you in a different way, then. If we have a, a, two cases of identical facts, one under 3109 and in the federal case and another state case like this, do you think we would apply the same uh, rules to determine whether the Fourth Amendment was violated in one case and 3109 is violated in another. Is there a difference in the approval?
9: No. Uh, we would submit that, that a, a reasonable application of 3109 would produce the same result as, as, the, as, Fourth as the Fourth Amendment.
0: Fourth Amendment. Mr. Uh, or Mr. Jibin, I I take it that in our decision, Warden against Hayden, which I guess was the late 60s, we have already departed from the common law in construing the Fourth Amendment since we there held that you could search for evidence, and the, com- the common law didn't permit it. That, that is correct, Chief Justice
9: Rehnquist. And that was my second response to Justice Scalia's comment on, on the common law. The Court has not simply frozen uh, common law rules and searches and seizures into constitutional law, but has re- used the common law background, departing from it when reasonable justifications exist. I understand exist. That, but, a, but, but it's, it, it's, it's a further question to say,
2: not only are we going to let you go in to look for evidence when you couldn't do it before, but the obtaining of that evidence, we are also going to allow to dispense with the common law requirement of of knock and announce. That's a that's a big additional step, it seems to me, and I'm not I'm not sure that simply to say you can get it means that you also have to say, moreover, when if knocking and announce wouldn't wouldn't permit you to get it you can dispense with knock-and-announce. That seems to me quite an additional step.
9: Well, the American common law from very early cases in this country did recognize that when it would be uh, counterproductive to knock-and-announce before making the entry, such as by provoking a felon within to use violence to repel officers who were there to arrest them, then knock-and-announce need not be complied with. And that is the very principle that we are contending for here today with respect to the risk of violence.
5: Do I understand you to be saying, though, that this is largely an academic discussion because if you have a warrant then you can break the door down you can be brutal it doesn't matter because of the inevitable discovery rule
9: for most of the evidence that is acquired under a search warrant that is true although i wouldn't
3: why isn't the same reasoning uh, then sufficient whenever there's a search without a warrant where a warrant would be required by general rules you would simply argue, well, if they had done what they should have done and gotten the warrant, they would have found the evidence anyway. Isn't the structure of the argument the same in each case? I don't think so, Justice Tudor, because um,
9: the, the presumption that if police had applied for a warrant, they would have gotten it is a very different thing from saying they did go to the magistrate, they did get the warrant. Is it any more
3: bizarre than saying that uh, if, uh, if they had knocked and announced, they would have done the right thing, uh, and um, they, they just didn't happen to knock and announce? In each case, the assumption of the question is they could have done what the Fourth Amendment requires. They didn't do it. But the argument in each case seems to be, or the argument in the the inevitable discovery uh, application that you're arguing for is, if they had done the right thing, they would have gotten the same evidence they got by doing the wrong thing.
9: Well, the, uh, the warrant that they possessed, which is the primary source of protection that the Fourth Amendment affords to privacy and against unreasonable searches, authorized them to acquire this evidence.
3: So they were going. Yeah, but to that work. begs the question: whether whether it authorized them to go in uh, in a manner which, under a general rule or a rule that takes into consideration knock and announce, was unreasonable. It didn't authorize them to make an unreasonable search. That is true. It got them to the threshold is what I'm saying. It didn't necessarily get them over the threshold.
9: That is true. But this court's cases that have examined, uh, police entries into dwellings that were, uh, done both under warrant and not under warrant have recognized that the evidence that is acquired under warrant is the fruit of the warrant. Even if a warrantless entry had previously occurred that enabled the police to see all of the evidence, that, and, and that, that thereby would justify suppression of the evidence if that's all there was. Doesn't it require suppression of evidence when there is a
3: valid warrant?
9: And that's essentially the well, if, that's the, if that's the
3: case then I don't know why we're arguing about knock and announce. Because the evidence is always going to be inside if they arrived with a warrant Uh, And it's going to be there whether they knocked or whether they didn't knock. That is
9: true, Justice Souter, as to the tangible evidence that they seize, but it may not be true as to some of the things that they observe upon making an immediate entry. And if the entry is unlawful, a court
3: could suppress things that they observe. I was going to say, say. that's not what you're arguing would be inevitably discovered.
0: That's correct. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Dribin. The case is submitted.
5: The Honorable Court is now adjourned until Monday morning at 10 o'clock.